to the City Church Podcast. We hope that you will be abundantly blessed by this message. If you would like to find out more about the city, please log on to our website, www.thecity.sg. Travis, starting from like last year, uh, late last year, he started to ask us this question. Every time we had spend time with him or when we play or when we are just like eating lunch, dinner, meal together, he would just turn to us and Travis ha- is a very tender-hearted boy. He's a, he's a prophetic boy and so he, he senses uh, people's uh, emotions and like the atmosphere really, really well, even at the, a very, very young age. And so starting from last year, he, he would turn to us and then he would ask Papa, mommy, are you happy? Like just in the middle of like a conversation or a, when we are playing, you know, and he would just ask, Papa, mommy, are you happy? And we would all say, yes, we are very happy. And then he did that a few times. And subsequently, I started to observe, you know, his prophetic calling comes from me or so. Lah. So <laughs> I started to like notice and I started to have a quickening in my spirit, you know, like, God, what is this? And, and I, I realized that he's, he, he's actually essentially asking, mommy, Papa, are you happy with me? Are you happy being with me? And so I, so from then on, every time he asks us this question, I would, instead of just answering, yes, we are happy, or yes, we are having fun, you know, we, are, we, we like, you know, being with you. We will say, yes, Travis, we are happy with you. And his expression changed the first time we said that. So usually when we say, yes, we are happy with you, or yes, we are happy, he will, okay, you know, he's like, there's still a delight. But when we say, we are happy with you, Oh my gosh, the smile on his face, you know, he, it's, it's as though his whole existence was being validated. And it's our innate desire and it is, it is intrinsic in our, in our DNA to crave for that kind of approval, for that kind of attestation, you know, for, for, the, for, uh, for to be a de- the source of delight and joy to somebody. It is inside us, all of us, you know, to be a source of joy, to be, to be uh, approved by the people that we love, that we hold high regard for. And, and it is so, also, as Christians, we are, as we grow older, we learn how to please more people, right? We learn how to please the people who can uh, give us things, the people who can uh, help us gain status or acceptance in something that we want. You know, and as we grow older, we learn how to uh, play the game. Right, we learn how to please people for the sake of our own motives, you know. But as, so, as Christians, we are not exempted from that compulsion, right? As Christians, all of us here today, unless you are some saint, you know. But as Christians, we are all not exempted from the compulsion of pleasing somebody. And and the truth is, we please somebody with the motive of wanting to gain something from them, which in turn please our inner desire for a void that needs to be filled. So ultimately, our whole goal in life was just to please ourselves, is to bring pleasure to ourselves. It's self-indulgence. So the question, the question we have today is, since there are so many people to please, right? Who do we want to be pleasing to, ultimately? Who do we want to be pleasing to? At the heart of it, right? Like I said, we, just, we want to please ourselves, but the Bible urges us to please God. The Bible urges us that, you know, in our living that we ought to please God, that we should not please ourselves only. Okay, I know it sounds narcissistic. <laughs> it sounds narcissistic. But let me just go through a, a few verses. I have so many verses that talks about pleasing God. So you can please go and find, go and search up and research out all the, all the things, all the verses that say how to please God because it's such a vast topic. But I'm just going to zoom down on a few. In Galatians, it says, for am I not this Paul asking, 
For am I now seeking the favour of men or God? Am I striving to please men? If I was still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of God. And in 2 Corinthians, it says, Therefore, we also have as our ambition, as our goal, as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to Him. You see, God is not narcissistic. Okay, this is not a case of, um, you know, please me, please me, come and say how worthy I am, come and say how loved I am, come and tell me how great I am, right? The, the Father is fully sufficient and satisfied in the Trinity. Even without us, they would survive and they would have pleasures forevermore because they just enjoy the company of one another. But what the Father is doing is He's extending an invitation for us into this circle of delight and of joy and and of uh, pleasures forevermore, the Bible says. So on the surface, it, it, it seems like the question is, how can I make God happy? Is this all to my Christian life, to make God happy? It's like a question that you ask during Christmas, like, what do I buy the person who has everything? How else can I make God happy? You know, like, what must I do to make... It's like, it sounds so daunting. What must I do to make God happy? It's, it's that, but yet in Revelations 4.11, it says that we were created for His pleasure. And that actually what God desires is just us. He desires us. We were created for His delight and pleasure and we too are created to experience pleasures with Him. We have a dynamic relationship. This is not a static thing where God sits on a throne or you know He's high and lifted up and then we are just here paying tribute to Him. It is a dynamic relationship. It's not static. Just as we, we want to bring delight to Him, He wants to find delight in us as well. So He wants, he wants, he wants to, to have that 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 relationship that he is experiencing with the Trinity to be in, to be to involve us as well. As parents, right, you know, you will realize that there's sometimes like during like in our conversations or in our interactions with our kids, and then they do something silly and we break out in laughter, what will they do? They will repeat that. They will keep doing oh you know poo-poo <laughs> that kind of thing. Because they say, oh, it, it it felt funny. They saw you laughing, right? So they will keep doing that thing. They'll keep saying the silly thing. Uh Erilyn has this thing where she, she will pick whatever favourite reptile or animal or insect she likes at the moment and then she will... I love it because she only does it to me. She doesn't do it to Rudy and I don't think you all will see it in her. She, you always think she's very sassy. But actually she's very tan. <laughs> she's very manja. So she comes to me and she will go, I love my me dinosaur. <laughs> or I love mummy cockroach, which I hate. Uh, or I love mummy spider. And I'm supposed to say, reply to her in the same kind of voice. I love baby dinosaur. I love baby cockroach. And when, when I do that, so, so the more we talk in, talk in this kind of kiddish voice, the more she will... And then she will rub her, 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 like, her face on my, on my shoulder, you know, just like a puppy. She will... Mommy dinosaur. And then she will do that. And so the more she do it, the more I respond, the more she will do more and then I will respond more, you know. And, and it is like that. It is like that with the Father. The more we find pleasure and joy, the more we delight God, the more He responds. <laughs> and the more He responds, the, the more we find, the more, no, the more, the more we, we desire to please Him. It is like that. It is our innate desire. When, when we find joy in our Father, we find our own joy. We find, we find a delight in pleasing our God. <laughs> so does, it, does this mean that, oh, okay, since God is pleased with us, right, I don't have to do anything. I can just be who I am and then, you know, God will love us. Definitely. 
my, my kids can change their name, they can dress however they want. Uh, Irene has started to wear a lot of pink, but I still love her. <laughs> I cannot stand pink. You know? um, so they can do all that all they want to do, but they are still my children, and I will still love them. But it brings me greater joy, greater delight, if they actually walk in a way that's pleasing to me, that pleases my heart. And this is how the Father is as well, that there is, there is, um, there is a standard, there is a higher way to live that will please the Father. Is He pleased with me already? Definitely. But as a good Father, He desires you to live in a way that truly reflects Him. If He's good, right? That truly reflects Him. The Bible implies that we can be deliberate, that we can be intentional in pleasing God in the way we live. In Colossians 1, 9 to 10, it says, For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please Him in all respects, bearing fruit in every work, in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of Him. There is a manner of living that our lives of living our lives that pleases God. The word walking worthy here is not a reflection of our worth. Because you know we, we cannot earn, earn our worth, right? Whatever we do doesn't change how much more worthy we are. You know, and our own worth doesn't mean much. It's through the righteousness of God. So in a manner worthy of, the word worthy here is not a measurement of your worthiness, it's a measurement of God's worthiness. What it's saying here is to walk in a manner, in a manner befitting the value of God. What, befitting the, the worth and the nature of God. That when we walk, that when we live our lives, we, need, we ought to be, to be aware that we are walking befitting the value of God. Not our own worth. Second Timothy 2 verse 4 says, No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. As Christians, we are under a different governing system. You know, when we recognize Christ as the Lord, we immediately we are adopted from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And we have to adopt kingdom's uh, perspective. And what Andre shared last week was such uh, a good message on, on, on having kingdom perspective. Kingdom responds to current situations. If you haven't heard it, go and download it. It's such a good sermon. You know, and when, so when we are under a different, when we're under the kingdom of God, we have to operate under the laws of the kingdom of God. And as with every good nation and country, the, the laws of the land and the boundaries of the land are supposed to bring um, a progress, welfare for the citizens. It's supposed to bring advancement to the nation. And so in the way that we live our lives, the way that we conduct our lives ought to bring advancement of the kingdom of God and bring delight to the heart of the king. Matthew 5, 16 says, Let your light so shine before men that they might see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Ephesians 4 reminds us to walk worthy of our calling. There is a higher standard that we need to walk in. You know, that we, that are... Nominal Christians, they're just Christians who, uh, whose plan is evacuation. One day I can just be in heaven. But 
on this earth, we are asked to live in a, in a manner, in a way that will please the heart of the Father, that will carry on into eternity. And, and, in, this, and, and, in, this, um, and in this life, honestly, the, the people that, like I say, we please a lot of people, right? You know, even in our workplaces, even in schools, you know, to be accepted into different social circles. But ultimately, our, our true desire for approval... Um, usually comes from people that we have a very high value for, a very high regard for, like our father figures, our mother figures, um, our kids, uh, people who, that, who we, we value uh, their opinions. And uh, today I just want to, can we dive in a bit more and do a bit of studying? I love to, um, in as much as having um, stories and inspirational uh, quotes, right? I really love having the Bible prove the Bible and having the Bible uh, exemplify what the Bible is saying. So today we're going to turn to a lot of verses, okay? I, I put most of them up there, but uh, please stay engaged with me. <laughs> today I want to just uh, look into a tale of two kings. Two kings who have similar calling, who seem to be called to the same things, who, who have been given the same uh, mandate. But one had a high regard for God, and the other... Um, has a very low, in fact, no regard for God and how that actually affects the heart of the Father and how that actually affects the way God responds to them. Okay? And so today, I just want to share with you uh, from 1 Samuel, it's, uh, it's like a few passages, but bear with me. Let's look at Saul. Here in 1 Samuel, we see Saul um, preparing to fight the Philistines or Philistines, uh, and he prays to God. <laughs> and First Samuel 28, verse 6 onward says, And when Saul inquired of the Lord, and the Lord did not answer him, either by dreams or by Urim or by the prophets, then Saul said to his servants, Find me a woman who is a medium, that I might go to her and inquire of her. You see, so over here, Saul is, Saul is faced with a battle, okay? And the Philistines, Philistines, um, is like um, so much base. They, they have, a, have a bigger uh, army base. They basically have all the tanks and all the, you know, choppers and all, and all, all Saul had were like ground infantry, okay? And so that's, that, that was like the, the stake against him. It was so, he was so fearful of this battle that he uh, inquired of God. And the Bible says that the Lord did not answer him, and so he decided to go and call on the witch of Endor. The witch of Endor sounds like, you know, those Law of the Rings. Witch of Endor. To summon, he, he called on the witch of Endor to summon Prophet Samuel from the dead. So at this point, Prophet Samuel was dead. And Saul, in his um, desperation, okay, he decided to call the witch, you know, to summon Samuel up. And then, so we see in verse 15, Samuel said to Saul, this is, the pro this is the dead spirit. <laughs> this is the spirit of Samuel saying to Saul, Why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? And Saul answered, I'm deeply distressed for the Philistines make war against me and God has departed from me and does not answer me anymore, neither by prophets nor by dreams. Therefore, I've called you that you might reveal to me what I should do. So Samuel said to him, So why do you ask me, seeing the Lord has departed from you? and has become your enemy. So here is Israel's king, Israel's first king, facing the biggest crisis of his life, and yet God wouldn't answer his prayer. In fact, God has become his enemy. You see, if you, if you read through the whole story, right, like from Samuel, um, of, 
of the exploits of Saul, you will understand that this incident with the witch of Endor, summoning the dead, inquiring, you know, dark magic and, and witchcraft, is just one of the many examples of disobedience, of self-reliance uh, that Saul got himself into. It's just one of it. And throughout his entire life, Saul relied on his own strength. He relied on his own intelligence, what he thinks might be right. And, you know, and, and so when he, here he was wanting to ask God for help, God abandons him. God abandons him. We need to recognize that a spiritual law is at work here. We make choices, and over time, the choices make us. But we make choices, and over time, the choices make us. C.S. Lewis once said, good and evil both increase at compound interest. That is why the little decisions you and I make every day of, is of such infinite importance. You see, Saul had a cycle of disobedience. Further down, after, after Samuel spoke to him about, you know, like God has departed from you, you have, he has become your enemy, um, Samuel went on to, to, to remind Saul. He said, because you did not obey the voice of the Lord um, with regards to the Amaleks, that's why the Lord has done this thing to you this day. And then he went on to prophesy the death of Saul and his sons. You see, that this episode with Amaleks, if you remember my, my sermon previously on um, a life of worship, I mentioned to you that uh, when, Saul, when Saul became king, one of the first things that God, in fact, the first thing recorded in the Bible that God asked him to do was to wipe out the Amalekites, was to seek revenge on the Amalekites, to wipe everything out. But what did Saul do? You all still remember? He said he preserved the king. He saved all the best oxen, sheep, and cattle. You know, basically he kept all the good stuff and then he held the king hostage. He did not do what God told him to do, which is to wipe out everything. It was a clear instruction from God, a clear commandment to wipe out everything that the Amalekites would be banished forever, like God forever. But he did not. In fact, he made excuses, say, oh, I just want to use them to sacrifice to God. And what did Samuel say? Isn't obedience better than sacrifice, right? You know? And I, I also went on to uh, elaborate that, that um, this obedience was is equal to the, the witchcraft of divination, that you seek uh, other sources rather than God as the ultimate wisdom. And so Saul had that. And so at, this, at the end of his life here, facing the biggest crisis of his life, Samuel reminded him, it's because you have not done you know, what God said in regards, with regards to the Amaleks, the, uh, Amaleks, that this day the Lord has done this thing to you. It was a cycle. From the start of his reign till the end, Saul kept on going in cycles of disobedience and he was unrepentant. Self-reliance and disobedience leads to hardness of heart. Hardness of heart leads to more self-reliance and disobedience, which in turn leads into even a greater hardness of heart. You know, finally at the end, Saul couldn't change because his heart has become spiritual concrete. Yes, his heart has been hardened over and over and over again that when he, when he was faced with a decision so clear, he still couldn't change. He still couldn't choose what is good. He still couldn't choose what God said because his heart had become spiritual concrete. It was a cycle that went on in his life. And today, my, one of my questions I want to ask is, do you find yourself trying to please God but always find, like finding yourself in a pattern of defeat? That no matter how much you try to, yes, God, I want to please you, but the next time, 
you fall back into the same sin or you do that same thing again. Can I suggest to you that that, that that might be a cycle of disobedience, that that might be like just a, a, a cycle and a pattern of unrepentance and you know, disobedience in your life. And I just want to, um, while preparing this one, I, I really um, felt this passage came to me and I think it has a prophetic significance for um, cycles and patterns of disobedience. Uh, in 1 Kings, let's, I just want to divert a bit. You know, in 1 Kings 22, verse 43, this is talking about King Jehoshaphat, okay? And he says he walked, King Jehoshaphat walked in all the ways of his father. He did not turn aside from them. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. He was, he was still a good king. Nevertheless, the high places were not taken away. For the people offered sacrifices and burned incenses on the high on the high places. So it says here that even in the generations after, the people still went up to the high places to burn incense. Basically, the spirit of idolatry never left. Even though the king did not did not um, participate okay, in idolatry, you know, in burning incense and all and offering um, offerings to idols. But because he left the high places there, the people for generations were still in a cycle of idolatry. It remained in the people. And then after that, years later, in 2 Kings chapter 18, verse 3 to 4, here we have King Hezekiah. And King Hezekiah did what was right in the sight of the Lord. Same with King Jehoshaphat. Okay? They did what was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father David had done. But this time, he did something different. He removed the high places and broke the sacred pillars, cut down the wooden image, broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. For until those days, the children of Israel burned incense. They made an idolatry of it. King Hezekiah removed the high places. What are these high places? And, and after that, it says here that there was no other king like him. There was no other king like him. Idolatry was broken in Israel. What are these high places? Second Corinthians tells us that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and tearing down every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. You see, whatever that seeks to replace God as the ultimate source of wisdom is a high thing. Whatever that seeks to usurp God's sovereignty over your lives is a high thing. And until we, we have that perspective, that prophetic, I know it's a bit, you know, out there, but unless we have that prophetic perspective that we have to tear down those high places in our minds, we will always go back to a cycle of self-reliance and disobedience. We have to cast it down. How? Meditating what's good, what's pure. The Bible gives a question, and a riddle, and then he, they give a solution. So search out the Bible. But we have to cast down the high places. We have to tear down the high places or else we will be caught like Saul. Wanting to please God maybe, but we can't. Because the thought, our thoughts are held, are held captive by idolatry, by something else that, that is usurping the wisdom, the ultimate wisdom and source that is God. And so that is Saul, that until the end of his reign, he couldn't because his heart had become spiritual concrete. God abandoned him. God couldn't answer him anymore. And then here we have another king, King David. 
the second king of Israel. See, David was a sinner. In fact, I think, you know, compared to Saul's sins, David was more outrightly sin, <laughs> right? Uh, adultery, murder, more, out, more like in your face sin, uh, you know? Somebody actually died from it. But yet, the, the, the ironic thing is, yet he's always called a man after God's own heart and, and God named his son after him. He, Jesus was called the son of David. What an honour. Why? It was because David's love for God was authentic. That even though he sinned, he was always seeking to please God. His weak attempts to please God brought delight to God. No matter how weak it was, you know, and I think it was Mel who shared that, you know, no matter how soft and weak your yes is, God delights in it. He still, he, he, won't, he won't squash that flame. And that was who David was, that even in his humanity, he was still seeking to please the heart of God. So in this same timeline as Saul, trying to fight the Philistines, right? Uh, David has been worn out. He's tied out from living under the threat of Saul. Saul has been wanting to kill him for like the longest time. So we are in the same timeline. And in this time, so David thought to himself, 1 Samuel 27, then David said to himself, now I will perish one day by the hand of Saul. Oh, well, I don't have it, sorry. And so basically David just um, thought to himself, if I stay here in Canaan, I'm going to get killed. I might as well just like go to uh, the enemy's territory and seek asylum. You know, and then go there and then, uh, prob- then probably Saul will just let me off. And so that's what he did. He went to the king of Gath, Ashish, you know, and uh, the king gave him Ziglet as his town, as his base for he- him and his men. Uh, and, you know, it was a bad decision. Because <laughs> firstly, he allied himself with the visible armies, uh, enemies of God, right? It was clear, okay, they were the, the enemies of God. He allied himself, he aligned himself with the enemies of God, and then after that, to, in order to uh, slowly regain his, his um, opportunity to take over, the, what, he told a series of lies. Uh, and so he just got himself into a very big trouble. And then now he's, he's together with this King Ashish and his uh, army trying to fight King Saul. God's anointed, whom he didn't kill previously, right? Because he, said, he recognized that Saul was God's anointed and he didn't want to touch him. And so he found himself um, on all sides, just disobeying God on every front. And then, okay, and, and the good thing was the grace of God was there. The Philistine generals didn't want him there because they were saying, remember what they said about David, that Saul killed thousands, but he, David killed ten thousands. We wouldn't, the last time he was here, he killed one of our people. We wouldn't want him here. You know, and so they remembered that and then the generals decided, okay, send him back, go back to Ziklag. But then when, he, when they went back to their base, what happened was it was, it was already... Uh, taken over, and then uh, their, their wives and all their children were taken captive. And so now David, and all, the, all, their, all his men were lamenting and blaming David. And David found himself in a tight place. The word distress there means tight place. David was distressed. And here's the difference. This is where character and spiritual commitment uh, makes a difference between David and Saul. In 1 Samuel 30, it says, Now David was greatly distressed. For the people spoke of stoning him because the soul of the people were grieved. But David strengthened himself in his God. Then David says to Abiathar, the priest, Amalek's son, please bring me uh, the effort here to me. And Abiathar brought the effort to David. So David inquired of the Lord, 
and he answered him, him meaning God. David inquired of the Lord, and God answered him. And so after that, we know that they pursued them, they got back everything, and then they even shared their spoils to the people along the way. You see, the fundamental distinction between Saul and David was that David always had an attitude of repentance. Saul just had an attitude. <laughs> Saul was always giving excuses. But it's because of this. But it's because of that. I just want to sacrifice to God. But because God never answered me, so I go and summon the witch of Endor. But David always had a heart of repentance. That's the fundamental distinction. David sinned. All the time. You know, even prior to this, he, he, he actually relied on his own intelligence or stupidity, you know, and wanted to do things his own way. But ultimately, he was concerned of how God thought of him and he always went back to God. Saul never did that and he couldn't. David was always concerned with pleasing God even when it was difficult for him, even when he had to come to terms with his failure, even when he had to receive consequences of his sin. His heart was still to please God. So the question begs, how do we please God? Thank you for asking. <laughs> Hebrews 11 gives us a clear answer. There are so many ways, like I said, the Bible, and I, have, I had like pages of research on it, but I had to streamline, and I hope that I'm doing you justice by streamlining to these points. Okay? If not, do your own research. Okay? Hebrews 11, it says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, but by it, the elders obtain a good testimony. The NASB says, for by it, the men of old gained approval. In verse 6, it says, but without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And so it's with faith, by possessing faith, by exemplifying faith, by actually um, Work, having faith in their in outworking in their lives that the heroes of old were approved. They were attested by God. They were given a good testimony. And in this verse, you know, we can go on and talk about this whole this whole passage can can expound to a, a whole sermon. But let me just let you know that in this verse contains two assertions which I want to share and expound today. Two assertions that pleases God. Number one, that he is real. It says without faith, it's impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is. Pleasing God is having the faith to believe that he is who he said he is. In Exodus, the Lord revealed his name and says, I am who I am. That's his name. He absolutely is. He's the absolute. And faith in pleasing God is believing that he is what he said he is. C.S. Lewis said that Christ is either a liar, a lunatic, or Lord. So he either deceived mankind, mankind is self-deceived, or he's truly divine. Pleasing God is believing he is worth putting our hope in, the substance of things hoped for. It's being certain that the invisible God and his hand in creation do in fact exist, the evidence of things not seen. It pleases God when we have an understanding and a true perception of the value of God, of the supreme value of God. Pleasing God means having the faith to say that if He said He's provider, He will provide. If He said He's comforter, He will comfort. It's taking Him for His word. My favorite thing in the world, taking God 
you know, I, I, God is not complicated. He is who he says that he is. If he's not a liar, then what he says is true. Do we take him as he is? Do we believe, do we have the faith to believe that he is? He is pleased when what he is, what he embodies, who he says he is, is outworking in our lives. The, the worst testimony a Christian can have is people not seeing God in you. There's no form of mystery, glory in you. Sometimes people look at me and wonder how did I come so far? <sighs> like in just in life. Because, you know, that honestly, like it comes to the like, education front, financial front, nothing really outstanding. Uh. But the fact that I can have a home, I can have family, you know, I'm preaching to you today, I have a community. There is, there is, a, there is God in my stories. If you speak to me, and I think many of you do, there is God in my pregnancy journey. There is God in my wedding story. There is God in my growing up as a pastor's kid story. There is that mystery and that glory of God in me. Because I truly take God as He is. Do we have the embodiment of what, who God said He is revealed in our lives? Do we have the stories to tell of who He is? We please God by believing, having the faith that He is, that He is, He is real. Secondly, we please God by having the faith to believe that He is a rewarder. There is a difference between appeasing God and pleasing God. We need to draw that distinction, okay? Because I think maybe we, we, have, we have it muddied, we have it blurred. No parent would want the kid to come to them in fear, you know? So one kid, a kid can come out and do something out of fear. The other kid can come out and do something out of love. It can be the same actions, but the response is very different. The way they come to you makes a difference. There was once where, um, when we started using the cane, right? And then Erilyn has a very huge response, response to it. Every time like, we just hold the cane, she will go, No mommy, no mommy, no mommy! And she just like cower in fear. No mommy, no mommy, no mommy! And when, when I see that, right, it breaks my heart. Because it feels like I'm coming to her like, to met out, yes, punishment, but it seems like I'm an unreasonable, angry mother. And then she's like, No mommy, no mommy! You know, she's totally fearful. The look of terror on her, on her face broke my heart. There's no joy in that kind of relationship. With Travis, because he has, he's older, so when I take out the cane, he's already. <laughs> he stands at the side of the couch like that. <laughs> and because we told him, we always tell him before that when we cane you, it's because you have done something wrong. You need to have that punishment, but after that, we will love. We, I mean, not after that, but we love you. And after that, we will tell them that, that we love. So when we, when we beat, we try not to be angry, right? And then, so when we, after caning him, sometimes he cries, most of the time he doesn't because he knows it's, it's due punishment. After hitting him, then straight, straight away, he will, uh, and then he will hug, and then we will say, you know, you know you've done something wrong, but it's, you know, now that you, you've 
we have punished you, learn from it, we love you, don't do that again, you know, it's not nice. So I'm very sad when I do this you know, whole parenthood thing. Lah, right? <laughs> but it would break my heart if every time I want, every time my kids come to me, they are fearful and they are scared of making me angry because I would punish them. It would break my heart. There will be no joy in that kind of relationship. There will be no joy. You see, we appease an angry God, an angry and petty God. But we can only please a God whose heart's, whose heart's inclination and affections are towards us. We appease an angry God, but we can only please a God whose heart is inclined towards us. An appeased God might bless us if he's in the mood or not. We don't know because he's unpredictable and petty, right? So if we appease, if we think God is, is an angry God, we, just, we appease him with like trying to do what's, what's good, what's pleasing. But after that, when we, when we sin, we fail, what do we do? Our first instinct is not to go back to an angry God, it's to run away from the angry God. And try to wait until his, his temper comes down and then we might approach, you know, previously I did this. Sorry. I won't do it again. I try. And we are like in a cycle of appeasing an angry God, a petty God. And we don't know whether he loves us or not when he's in the mood maybe. Or when there's corporate worship, then maybe he loves everybody. But in my own personal life, he might not like me that much. But a loving God longs to reward his children with good things. He can't wait for his children to search him out and to find him. It pleases my heart when my kids uh, ask me to help them do things. Mommy, can you help me do this? Mommy, can you sit with me? I want to sit with mommy. It pleases my heart as a mother to have my children search me out and want me to be with them. It pleases my heart. It pleases God when we come in a way that, that affirms his, his nature as a good rewarder, as a generous giver. He's pleased with that. It's just like, you know, how your, how your kids react to you is, a, is, a, is like a direct, um, direct reflection of who, who you are to them. If my kids come to me with confidence and they, all, they are very confident, Mommy, I want this. Mommy, can we have ice cream? Mommy, I want yao yao. Uh, yeah. They, when, when they come with confidence, yes, you know, it's like, hmm, why you want so many things? But it, it, gives, it shows me that they are confident of my love and my affection for them. And they don't come to me, you know, being afraid and scared and not wanting to come near me. And that is the same with the father. He feels uh, delighted when we come in a way that affirms his nature, that affirms his character. Sometimes the rewards don't come right away, right? Sometimes circumstances don't change. Sometimes the reward don't come in a way we expect. We think that these certain things that we pray for will change. Like, for example, if you ch- pray for a change in job, but suddenly your grace, you have favor, and then you're put in authority to make things work. And then, but God, I don't want this job. But then suddenly I'm in this place of favor. Sometimes the rewards don't come in the way we expect. Sometimes the rewards don't seem to be coming. But we need to hold fast to God's promises and believe He's a keeper of His word that God responds to our searching and seeking. That when we ask, that when we knock, He will answer. He is a generous giver. He is a good rewarder. This is what faith does, and this is why faith pleases God, because faith causes us to come to God with the confidence that He is who He claims He is, and that He's a generous giver, that He can't wait to lavish us with goodness. 
he can't wait. And that's why it pleases God. There are many other ways that the Bible says in pleasing God, keeping His commandments and all. But faith is the fundamental and the key ingredient to approaching God in pleasing Him. There is a way that we need to live our lives that will reflect these two aspects of faith. That He is real. That He's a rewarder. That we, not, we do not live in, in a poverty mindset. That God bless Him. You know, I've heard this said, I forgot from who, but every time somebody... So, you know what? If you feel jealousy and envy when God blesses someone, you have a very wrong perspective of God. You do not view him as a rewarder. You view him as somebody who's like dividing his inheritance. And then when somebody gets blessed, your shares get robbed. Your, sh- your share of the reward gets robbed. That is wrong. God is a rewarder of good things, overflowing. He's overflowing with supplies. And so if you celebrate one, one person's reward or one person's blessing, it's a gateway, it's a testimony of what your reward could be. It doesn't rob away your share. I don't know why I shared that, but yeah. Because I used to be like that. When I was younger, I mean, like, even as a, you know, when people, when you hear people's prophecy or, you know, you see people being gifted in something. <laughs> I don't know why I, okay, I should share this since Pastor Daniel is here. So, <laughs> he's worried. Um, in our previous youth ministry, right, so we have a lot of fantastic leaders. Fantastic leaders. So there was once that a few of the leaders were in the, we were in the youth uh, office. And this pastor from overseas came. I forgot who. He came in. So Pastor Daniel, you know, doing his usual, introducing all the, the, the leaders. And he went, oh, this is uh, Andrew. He leads worship. Very good worship. This is Isaiah. Oh, he's a fiery preacher. Oh, this is Delia. She's a teacher. This is Liu Yan. She's an intercessor. This is Christine. She helps me. <laughs> greatest honor because helper no? I'm like the Holy Spirit <laughs> he's, trying to, he's trying to redeem the story <laughs> I have redemption so I tell you to be honest right? when he said that I was like what's that so all the fivefold ministry and then like what all the <laughs> Vanguard ministry <laughs> and then I'm the Holy Spirit and then God and Christine she, she helps me I was like what is this <laughs> I also lead worship. I also can preach. I I think I can teach. I also intercede. <laughs> so I'm the helper. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I receive that in Jesus' name. <laughs> you know, and so and so I used I used to be like that. And I used to think that wow, God, if you if you reward, that means that my reward is lesser. <laughs> you know, but no, I've come to realize you know that whatever that it, that. God rewards. It's it's a it's a testimony. You know, it's a prophecy of what he can, what or what I can receive in and through him, amen. And that he is a good rewarder. <laughs> and so Jesus is our greatest example of how to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. I don't have it on the screen, but John says, uh, Jesus said himself in John, "By myself I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just. For I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me." And further down, he says also that the one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone. Not like Paul, not like Saul, right? Being abandoned by God. But God has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. 
This, the, the, these are the words of Jesus. I do what pleases him. God has not left me alone. Hebrews 12 tells us that for the joy that was set before him, Jesus endured the cross. I'm sure Jesus wasn't exactly thrilled la, about dying on the cross, you know, and, but what, what is that joy? The joy was the joy and delight of pleasing his father. It was for that that Jesus went through what he went through. It was the faith that God is and that he is a rewarder that Jesus went to the cross. It was for the well done. It was for the this is my son in whom I'm well pleased that Jesus bore the cross. Can we stand? <laughs> Can we have the banner so? You know, I've had the privilege of having many prophetic words since I was a young girl, you know, me growing up in church, being a pastor's kid. I've a lot, have a lot of, of exposure, uh, even growing up in ministry. I have had the pleasure of and the privilege of having uh, many prophetic words said over me and about me. And many were about the dreams uh, that I have, the calling of God that I have, the giftings I possess. Um, the future, I've had words about my husband and uh, my kids. Even my kids themselves uh, have many prophetic words when I was pregnant with them. But none of the, those prophetic words impacted me or meant uh, to me as much as those that were told to me that God was pleased with me. Those very awesome words of being you know, a prophetic preacher, having prophetic ministry, those were nice. But, but those words that, who, that came to me uh, that said, you know, God is so pleased with you. Those words that, those words that went, you know, well done, good and faithful daughter. I'm so pleased with your heart. You bring a smile to my heart. All those words were a thousand times uh, more meaningful to me. And often those words came at a time um, after I've been through difficult seasons in my life. No one knew what I had to choose daily. You know, it's not like the big, big stuff, but just how I would respond to things, how I would... Um, not let those thoughts fester in my mind, how, to, how I would tear down those high places, how I would respond in my heart and my attitude. And those words that I was well-pleasing to God came after all those seasons. And you know, for, for those brief moments, I could feel what Jesus might have felt. That it's all worth it just to hear well done. That even the cross was, then the pain of the cross was, was no comparison to uh, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. For a moment, I, I felt maybe this is what Jesus felt. 
And Luke asks us, in Luke, the question asks, when the Son of Man returns, will He find faith on this earth? Will He find people who are walking in a manner worthy of their God? Will we find people who have the reality and the response of God expressed in their life? Is His existence embraced in every outworking of your life? Do you see His response to your seeking and your searching? Because if you are seeking and you are searching, you will find Him. You will see the rewards and the responses of God in your life, the answers of God in your life.